Welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. Today I'm here with my good friend Gigo Sanchez, creative director at 30 Year, previously known as Latinworks. Gigo specializes in creating advertising in the U.S. and Hispanic market. Gigo is a really good friend of mine. He's married to Mari Chamoun, who is managing director at Funsize. I've been trying to get Gigo on the podcast for a while. Maybe I don't know what took so long, but I'm really excited to have you here. Usually we have you know digital product people on the show, but your your background in creative direction and advertising is something I've been wanting to have someone on the show like that for a while. So thanks for making time. Thank you for having to me here. Be here. Why don't you take a moment and just introduce yourself to uh, the folks listening to this show? Yeah, like you said, I'm Gigo Sanchez. I've been working in, in advertising now for like 10, 12 years since I moved here to Austin. Like you said, my, my specialty has been in the past years uh, for the Hispanic audience, specifically in the U.S., which is a, a, a very niche market for advertising. And then more recently, we've started to expand that and, and try to you know, apply the learnings that we had from, from specific multicultural advertising into like just doing advertising in general. Awesome. Can you say anything about the companies or brands you work with, or if you can't, the, yeah. the types of companies you work with and the types of things that... Yeah, sure, those sure. kinds of projects involved. So um, some clients that I've worked for in the past, I currently work for mostly in, in uh, the Texas Lottery and uh, Target, the stores. I've worked for brands like Bud Light in the past, done work for Hispanic advertising for them like that. Uh, Domino's Pizza, Kimberly Clark Corporation, and within that, Huggies, uh, Kleenex, uh, etc. PepsiCo. Several big brands like that that are looking to connect specifically with Hispanics. So just for sake of conversation, could you could you just briefly go over the types of things? Just because advertising might be kind of a new concept to some of the people that would be listening to this show. So what you're working with one of these brands, what are the kinds of things that you make for them? So um, anything that will sell the product more, right? So it could be a video, it could be content that you know, lives in social media, any form of advertising or anything that interacting with the consumer will, will make them want the product or respect the product or you know, think better of a product. Specifically for the Hispanic audience, a lot of times it's, a, it's not so much about a difference in the, the piece. Let's say it's, it's a, you know, a TV spot, it's a TV spot. But a lot of times it's about the insight that is delivered through that piece, uh, what the story that you're telling is about so that a brand can come across as more authentic for that for that audience specifically. Did you go to school intentionally to work in advertising? Nope. What did you what did you study in school? I studied psychology. Okay. My, I, I did an undergrad in psychology in, in Puerto Rico. I, honestly, my, my whole academic career was kind of like a let's see how this goes approach to <laughs> To school, um, I originally, you know, was going to study medicine, and then after the first semester, was like, you know, I could do this, but I don't like it, and uh, I just started taking classes of different things: design, engineering, uh, social sciences, and I started liking social sciences more. And um, by the end of my my bachelor's, I just had enough, you know, credits to finish psychology <laughs> but had i had you know one or two more years i probably would have ended up in business that because i started to take business classes towards the end of my undergrad so it, it, it shifted it it was fluid right then after that uh, i had finished a degree in psychology but i did not want to be a psychologist so my my cop out my way of not you know my, my way of prolonging that magic before starting to work was just to continue studying <laughs> And a friend of mine had told me, um, oh, you would love advertising. My sister 
is an auditor <laughs> in an ad agency and she says that they wear jeans all day and they're you know bouncing balls from walls and stuff like that and they're all like you I'm like okay so I had, <laughs> I had never set foot in an ad agency and I decided to do a master's in advertising so I I that's what I did after the the psychology oh, degree okay. and, and that's what is that what brought you to Austin yes okay yeah. that's what I am originally from Puerto Rico from Mayagüez Puerto Rico and um, after I did my undergrad in psychology over there I literally Googled ad schools and then uh, um, UT came up and I was like, okay, I'm going to apply to that and did my essays, did my tests and, and all that stuff and ended up coming, coming here for the, for the master's in advertising. But I had never set foot in an ad agency before. I didn't master's in something that I had you know, no uh, uh, knowledge of or even passion for. Just so that I could keep studying until I figured out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> well, I imagine that that psychology degree. I mean, psychology seems to be very important in any any design and creative field. So I'm sure it's highly useful. If I was going to go back to school. I might study psychology or something. Absolutely, I'm, I don't regret any single class that I've taken. That, that I can tell you. Like in any of my academic career, or or even beyond my academic career, I, I have never regretted taking a class. Or learning about anything, but in in particular, I don't know if it's because of my approach to my work, or if it's because advertising requires you to know a little about a lot of things. I've used every single thing that I've done and that I've learned in advertising at some point. Uh, meaning, another thing that I did, you know, outside of school was music, and I, I played in cover bands and I played in original bands uh, in in Puerto Rico. The creative process that I learned through being in those bands and even the business side of being in a cover band and, and a, a wedding bassist. Uh, so <laughs> you did weddings? <laughs> yes, I That's did awesome. weddings. I had a tuxedo for work. Everything that I learned in that process, as much as what I learned through psychology, as much as what I learned, obviously, in, in, in ad school, I've been able to apply uh, to the creative process and to advertising in one way or another. Yeah. So uh, how long have you been doing creative direction now for? It's been four years, okay. three to four years. What would you say that the top or maybe top two skills that someone that does what you do needs to have to be, to be successful? I would sum it up in the word imagination, but there's a lot of degrees to that. And, and it's weird that I'm describing imagination as a skill, but I do think that imagination is something that you can better, get better at, right? And I, so I do describe imagination as a skill. I would describe that as the top thing because when you're doing advertising, aside from the creative parts of this fun story that I'm going to come up with or this script that I'm writing or this banner that I'm designing, etc., it's also key to be able to imagine yourself as the person who's going to see that commercial and how that person uh, is affected by your story, by your joke, by your song, your design, the colors that you, that you selected. So you're not always doing something to convince yourself to buy a product. You're, you're always doing something to convince someone else that's different from you, that's you know, older, younger, uh, different gender, or different you know, country of origin. Even if they're Hispanic, you know, the, the, the idiosyncrasies and the details of being Mexican versus being Puerto Rican require you to imagine yourself as, uh, I'm Puerto Rican, I have to imagine myself as Mexican if I am reading a piece of copy, right? right? So 
the capacity to imagine a story as much as the capacity to imagine yourself in the shoes of, of the consumer uh, or the user are, are key. Oh, interesting. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but I was wondering to do this kind of work in the Hispanic markets, you know, knowing that all these different cultures are different. Is, do you, have you learned about these different nuances between cultures and buying habits just by working in the field? Or do you actually do a lot of work to study? Or do you have research departments? Like, how do you actually get that knowledge? Absolutely. Well, I think that a key part to a multicultural agency is strategy and, and an intelligence department, right? A department that is out there finding out what people think, what people are reacting to. But as a creative it is your duty, and I think this is true of any commercial creative in uh, field and discipline. It is your duty to understand what the person that will use your idea or or listen to your idea uh, thinks like and, and functions like. So I had to learn several cultures uh, uh, that I thought I knew just because I knew the language, mm-hmm. which is a big thing about Hispanic, quote unquote, um, marketing. And, and advertising is that uh, a lot of companies think like, oh, we just do ads in Spanish and that way we're talking to Hispanics and that's it. But I had to learn a different language right, in, in learning how they speak Spanish in Mexico. Right. A lot of times. It, and to some degree, how someone would speak Spanish in like El Paso too, like the yes, different also nuances. Absolutely. Also how they would speak Spanish if you're Mexican second generation living in L.A., or Puerto Rican second generation living in New York mm-hmm. and and how those things differ. Because yeah. the effect of running an ad that was written for a Mexican audience in New York or in Orlando would be more or less the same effect of running a Mexican ad in like in Mexico, Mexico, and running that ad in Puerto Rico. People would be like, why are you why do why do they have this announcer that has a Mexican accent? using Mexican words, and I'm in Puerto Rico listening to this ad, it's Spanish. I understand every single word they are saying, but I'm not connecting as well to the, to, to, to the commercial, right? To the, to the story that I'm hearing because of that. It's, it's, not, a, it's not offensive. Nobody's going to be offended because of hearing a, a commercial in Puerto Rico with a you know, Mexican-Spanish accent, but it's a miss. It's a missed opportunity to yeah. connect with that person. Wow. Yeah. I've been, I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Cause you know, like some big brands, they check the box. Oh, did we get the Spanish version of our corporate website? They're, I'm sure some brands do this better than others, but there's so many different nuances that have to be considered. I think a lot, uh, a lot of people that do what I do, like doing digital product, they, they're, they might just be approaching just like getting to a language much, you know, not really at a point of getting into those level of nuances about what kinds of creative and, 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 um, uh, work specific words like really connect. Absolutely. The, that field has changed the, the, the Hispanic advertising in the U S and now that I think about it, your podcast is listening in other places that are not America. Yeah. It's actually it, kind of surprising. So There's- that that's, that's a context, that's some context that I need to give early on in my career. I was sending an exchange program to Germany in to an ad agency over there and the concept of an ad agency within the u.s that was built to speak to a different culture within that country was very baffling to them 
in in Berlin has the the biggest the largest population of 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 Turkish people the largest Turkish population outside of Turkey in the world and they don't have a Turkish ad agency in Berlin they just maybe run I, I don't know how that has changed in the last 10 years since I was yeah. there but back then that they didn't have like Turkish ad agencies to speak to the Turkish people that live in Berlin that's why like it was very odd to them the idea that wait what there's a an ad agency in the US to speak to Hispanics in the US solely and that's it's not just taking an ad from Mexico and running it in the US right right so I, I actually have to explain that a little bit now that I think about it because to someone that doesn't live in the US it, it, it's odd to think about this idea of a company that creates marketing uh, material and advertising material that is tailored specifically to an audience in a country different from which that audience might originally be. It's, it's a, a, an odd concept to explain. Well, there's also like not, not just the, like what the things that you're talking about, like some things that we're talking about right now are like creative voice and tone language, you know, color, like, there's also like elements of what people are willing to do in certain countries that, that others aren't, you know, like the way, like to get someone to buy something in, uh, Sweden mm -hmm. is very different than what someone is willing to do in Germany to buy something. For example, like all these different other things like privacy concerns or like what you need to design and how it's laid out in order to make someone feel confident that, that they should put their name on this thing or whatever. Like there's all those things too. And I think that, in this day and age, like it would do a lot of good for people to sort of think outside of their bubble when they're designing their stuff, whatever that stuff is that, you know, because, you know, people are seeing it uh, around the world or potentially. Well, absolutely. If you, if you design a product in San Francisco based on your San Francisco reality and yeah. limited to your San Francisco yeah. reality, it's going to be very foreign and literally <laughs> to someone <laughs> yeah. that lives in, in Berlin or, yeah. or, you know, South Africa. Yeah. Um, I think that going back to the imagination, to, to that skill of, of being able to imagine uh, yourself in, in your user's um, context, empathy, be, being able to imagine the emotions and imagine the processes that go through a user's mind, that is key in that process because of that. I want to talk a little bit about creativity more, and then I have something to talk about that I've been wanting to talk to you about for a very long time. Mm -hmm. How, how do you personally stay creative and how do you deal with cre your creative blocks? Um, ah, actually, yes. before we do that, yes. what is the biggest challenge that you're facing right now? I think the biggest challenge that I'm facing right now is as, I, as life changes and as I grow up as a human being, it's hard to... To stay as naive as you have to stay to believe in the magic of creativity. It, it, is, it is a challenge that I, I hope that other people are going through, but I don't know if, if that's the case. It, it, but I have gone through this, you know, every, every so many years it happens, right? You, you have to be selectively naive to to believe in the value of the idea that you're coming up with, especially when at the end of the day you're selling a product or convincing someone to buy more beer than they need or stuff like that. Who? Well, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a certain limit of how much beer someone needs? <laughs> so, uh, a, a lot, uh, you know, every now and then 
uh, you come back to question yourselves like, you know, what am I doing? Is this important? Why should it be clever? Why can't I just, you know, do this 10 second commercial that just says just buy the beer already and that's it? Why do I make it pretty? Why do I make it fun? Um, what is the value in that? Or if, if it's, you know, designed, like why, why bother make this special? Uh, and with an ad, that is particularly uh, hard because you're making something that is going to disappear in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then it's going to be substituted by another campaign that another ad agency came up with uh, saying that, oh, your old ad agency wasn't good. I'm better than that one. And, you know, and all of a sudden there's this cycle of this disposable art, disposable, you know, a, a energy and effort and creativity that is living there and all of a sudden is substituted by a new message. So this happens in our industry too, right? Like people cycle through designers or they have people that quit or they go through agencies or whatever. And the, the things that we do are also very temp temporary. UX designers might think, well, the value in that is that, well, while, while we did this, like it impacted the business as much or the users as much. Like given that, what you just said, like what provides that driving inspiration to you and your team when you know that those things might be temporary? Like how do you how do you negotiate in your head about like the value of the thing that you're, that you're doing for the customers that you work with? Like I said, I've had this problem several times and then I solve it and get and fall in love again with the magic. I've solved it different ways every time. One way in which I've been able to solve it in, including with my team is focusing on the process. The process is the most beautiful part of it. I think I totally agree. Um, Because what you ship, what what you what you your finished product, that's the you know what's limited. That's what dies in a couple of weeks once the media buy is out and that ad is no longer running. Mm -hmm. uh, even if your ad is you know uh, becomes pop culture, then that's a different thing. Because if your ad becomes pop culture two years from now, people will be making references to it because oh my god, you know it it went beyond advertising. Yeah, but when it doesn't. Your experience with your team and the creative process, it was still a beautiful thing. It's the difference between being a world-famous band and being a garage band when you were a, a teenager. The beauty of that moment was still special. You know, one of them was able to be famous and their songs are going to be remembered forever. And the other one, the songs are going to be remembered by the small group that was inside that garage when that was happening. But it's still love. It's yeah. still magic, right? So if you if you focus on your craft and if you focus on on the process, that will still be special. The, the love will still be there. Do you do you? And there's no right or wrong answer to this, but I'm curious. Do you, do you feel like you put those pressures on yourself to be imaginative and creative? I'm, I'm sure you have to be to do your job, but. How, but to what extent do you feel like it's your responsibility to teach other people how to imagine and be creative? Are you still like aggressive with the tasks that are given to you and the way you approach it mm -hmm. or in, or the balance between like mentoring other more junior, you know, associates and uh, teaching them how to be creative? So your question is specific to my, not just my field, but specifically to my position as a creative director. Your position, but also what you feel is important to you at this stage, at your age, like where you're at. So to me, it's crucial to be making something, uh, uh, to be participating in the creative process and not just overseeing other people that are, you know, 
doing creativity and I'm watching them from afar. And it's a very, um, from a very selfish standpoint, it's just like, I get pleasure from that. I get happiness from coming up with stuff. Mm-hmm. So the balance there is while you're mentoring a group of people and trying to create the environment for them to have fun and for them to be as creative as possible, if you want to participate as well, you have to be careful not to just end up making them feel like you're competing with them in a sport in which you're the judge, you're the referee, because it's messed up. Like if you're if you're playing this game and, you know, not not the coach, because the coach would be, you know, mentoring you and that's it. But if you're the one selecting the ideas as well, you're kind of like the filter. And it's not fair if you're coming up with ideas and you're the filter as well. You can make them feel like it doesn't matter how hard you work. I'm going to pick my idea. (laughs) You know what I mean? So to me, there's a a huge balance of being able to compartmentalize and and to uh, be, you know, objective and like uh, try to come up with something that you love, but also, you know, not make your team feel like you're... You're just competing against them and not letting them, you know, bring the maximum potential. Yeah. So since you said team, a great segue into what what I was really excited to talk about. I think a lot about teams. Like that's one of my probably primary functions to figure out like, how do we do this together? How do we make people's decisions to work at our company worthwhile? How can we think about the process? That process is revolves around teams and all this sort of stuff. I think about obsess about it. And one of the, I have I didn't work in advertising for a long time, but I spent maybe a year or two working at a couple of interactive mm-hmm. uh, advertising agencies. And the first thing that I noticed when I arrived at one was that relationship between like a you know an art director or a creative director and a writer. And when I hang out with you, and you talk about the people that you work with, like writing counterparts, whatever you, you literally refer to them as partner. Yeah. That's a very powerful thing. Right. I I think. Yeah. Because in my industry, I've never heard anyone refer to one of their counterparts as partner. And I think that I want to unpack that a little bit because it's something that because I obsess about this, I've, I've, I've tried to do everything that I want. Like, the you know you know certain people to feel like they're these other teammates are their partners they're actually in it together where does that come from in the advertising business that two colleagues would refer to themselves as partners yeah what does that mean like what does it take to do that and what do you think the value of that is so there's there's actually an, an even deeper layer to that when you're in a hispanic ad agency the word that we use in spanish is dupla and uh, um, the word for partner in Spanish, if you just hear the word partner, would be socio, which is more like business partner. Dupla is kind of like a, even more, more personal, almost like it's not literally life partner, but it's almost like more in the camp of life partner than business partner. Right. So it's even deeper and more intimate. But I just wanted to give that context yeah. of that it's even more <laughs> intimate in Spanish. Dupla. So... Where that started in advertising is that you would match a visuals person with a words person. Because back in the day, you had to have an artist that would actually be able to draw, you know, uh, an image when it was like quiche advertising with, yeah. uh, 
it, you know, smokes. Chesterfields. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that person was, you know, needed to be able to, to, dr to draw that image and to cut it or whatever. And their job was, uh, the responsibility was the, the visuals only. And they were, that, that, that was where they had a say. And the words person it focused on just, you know, what the words would be in that image. Mm -hmm. So that's where the partnership started with visuals and, and graphics, art directors and copywriters, yep. et cetera. Copywriters, th then different fields started to come into advertising, planning, strategic thinking, et cetera. So a copywriter was basically did the job of the writer and the strategist as well. And the, the visuals guy would only do the visuals. So that has changed throughout the years. And I think everybody's expected to come up with ideas, period. There, there's actually a book, book called Idea Writers. It's very good. And it's because of that evolution that has happened in advertising that now everybody just comes up with idea. You still have to have specific skills that maybe are geared towards writing and geared towards uh, design. But uh, um, you still have, you can see now partnerships, duplas, that are two writers or two art directors because it, it, that, that line is a little bit uh, blurry now. But I, I can tell you the story of, of me and my dupla when I started uh, in advertising and how that you know, affected me personally and, and the importance of that in my life. So when I, I was an intern at Latin Works, now called Third Year, I was there an intern for like seven months. I was an art director as an intern. And then at the end of my internship, I, I asked, you know, the boss, like, hey, I would like to, I would love to, to get hired. <laughs> I, need, I need a job. I love this place and I want to keep working, but I need a job. And he said, like, okay, let's talk in January. So in January, he sends me an email and he says, uh, oh, I, I sent him an email in January and I say, um, hey, when do you want to meet on Monday? Because he was going to, he asked me to, to bring my portfolio. And he says, Let's meet at 9 a.m., ready to work. You're going to be a writer, and you're going to be working with this guy. And I had never, you know, met the other person, and I was not a writer. But, you know, <laughs> but I wanted a job, so I just I took the, the writer job. The other person was um, Juan Pedro Gonzalez. He, he came from Mexico. He was just hired as well, and he was assigned to me, and I was assigned to him. And I think, I don't know, I don't know if he took it that way, but I took it as like, this is, you know, you're going to war and you have to protect this, you know, this, this, this soldier, this is your partner, you protect him with your life and you're assigned, you know, you're, you're bonded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how I saw it. And, and that's how it happened. You know, it, it was an instant friend for me and it was like, okay, let's go find you a bed and Ikea because he had just moved to Austin. And it was like, they had assigned me a friend that I had to instantly, you know, mm. it, it, it's a little bit different because we're both from, we were both not from Austin. So the line between work and life was getting blurry, right? Right. But we grew together a lot uh, as partners of each other. He had actually more experience than me and he taught me a lot uh, in, in that process. But um, the partnership was beyond work. It was more personal, right? And in turn, that that's became reflected in the work. I think when we worked together, it, that this relationship, because it's more than than just work, this relationship flourishes, and you see how that evolves in the work that that you're doing. 
It's really interesting. You know, I think that my, my opinion of the world is that most great things, most great outcomes, most challenges, most pain, painful things usually happen when communication is either great or terrible. Yeah. So when to, under the context of thinking someone as your, your partner on a project or a partner on projects is I the way, you know, I, I see that you guys like work together long term, but some people are just partnered up for a brief time. But like, what do you think is necessary for being a great partner to someone on a project or what, for even, what, no matter how the size of it, like, I think at least uh, for me, it is very similar to a relationship like, uh, like with, with Mari, you know, with my wife, it's commitment. I'm committed to this relationship and committed to making it work because when you're coming up with ideas together, there will be a point in which there will be a discrepancy and there, there, there will have to be some concessions, etc. But at the end of the day, when we're, when we're both going together in front of our boss, a lot of times, you know, maybe I had ideas that Juan Pedro didn't like, but he stood behind it anyway. Because we're a team and we're going to our boss and, and, and we're going to back each other up. There has to be commitment to each other, you know, to be able to do that. And I would sell his idea, you know, with the, the same passion as if, it, as if I had come up with it. But that can only happen when you're committed to the process, when you're committed to the individual that you're working with. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to spend an entire career selling stuff that you don't like. If you don't like what's coming out of your partnership with your partner, maybe, you know, you shouldn't be partners if everything that you're coming up with. Or maybe together, you should have an open dialogue about how uh, to improve that or something. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, I've, I've worked in places where people have that sort of camaraderie, but they're scared to provide the critique. You yes. Know? Uh, it's easy we, to give high fives. It's really hard to sometimes for people to be honest, but, you know, you got to ma balance things but way like more than one occasion Juan Pedro and I had to go to like a, a closed door room and like hash things out and like therapy and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> or like just like just like any relationship because yeah you definitely need the open dialogue and and resetting things just like in a relationship you know just like in any relationship yeah one of the things that you mentioned that you've been really interested in right now is the emotional operations of a company and culture. Like this is something that you, you talked about when we were, we were planning this, but can you un unpack what that means to you and what is it that you've been thinking about specifically? So I've been hearing a lot, especially since I, I studied psychology, but also it's, it's become trendier uh, the last few years, emotional intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about that and, and a parallel for that in, in business and in a company, especially in idea organizations like agencies, right? There, there are the business operations, and we, you, you could describe that as the, the hard skills and the things that you have to do, the, the tasks at hand, etc. The emotional operations is what the people that are in a company feel like while they're in that space surrounded by the people that are there mm. it's like a, a mental ecosystem right uh, uh, an emotional ecosystem where you know if you mess something up uh, if if this person messes up the trust 
in the organization than the other people that, you know, start doubting because of that person's, you know, uh, uh, spiking the punch uh, uh, in the organization, then everything comes down. That it, especially for creativity, you have to have this atmosphere of positivity, of positive energy and yeah. all that. And it's key for the, the emotions of the place that you're surrounded to be, to be positive and to be curated and, and protected as much as possible. So to me, the, the, the emotional operations of our organization is everything that is beyond the paycheck and beyond the timesheets and beyond the hours is a purpose, right? It's, it's the parts that we're not really paid to do. That's the part that we want to do and that we would do for free, right? Because of fulfillment, the happiness that yeah. you have. I think with the way things have gone, there's so many you know, opportunities for creative people, designers in today's world at different levels of industry and companies. And you know, I do agree with you that like process is extremely meaningful. It's, you know, it's, um, I, it is probably the most important thing. I think that I think about this part too, because I think it's the thing that is maybe, maybe on parallel or maybe one rung up, like, Because people, people are, are definitely going to be like process Im impacts outcomes and, and also like certain things like stress, happiness, fear, confidence, whatever, growth. But I also think that once you, you, you complete something and you move beyond that, like you look years down the road, it's the people that in the, the sort of... A, environmental stuff that you're talking about that, that they'll actually remember like because processes will change and stuff like that so it's um i think uh i mean and maybe that's just contextual for us because like we have to be competitive on that level like we have to really think about culture and the environment and stuff like that because our people could go anywhere right yeah. so, but i don't know like i think that um i think it's starting to catch on that you know you have to do something right because like no one no one's gonna work at a sweatshop anymore yeah no i mean, uh, i'm sure like when you were getting started when i was getting started like you know we you know there's definitely like abuse you know, at some level places well, that we worked at the, but that the thing is that that is subjective yes i was working until you know some nights 11 p.m 2 a.m maybe you know sometimes even until 6 a.m Nobody asked me to stay you, up until 6 a.m. You enjoyed it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, and that's the key of if you have a healthy environment that is motivating you and that you're very excited about and you have that, you know, the, uh, selectively naive optimism right. uh, that you need to be able to do that, you do that because you want to. Your paycheck only, you know, covers until 6 p.m. Everything right. after that is because of love and because I want to and because it's not enough, it's because... It because I'm enjoying this. It's a combination right. of a lot of things that you've said today, right? Like, that's absolutely true, right? Like, people will do that if they love what they're doing. But if, if they have a partner that supports them, if they have a boss that's not going to redo their work or, you know, like, yeah. sell their own ideas, like, because if, if, if those are just examples, but at a certain point, those other things aren't firing in the right way, it's like, well, okay, why? Well, you know, like, I think sometimes that love can, can dissipate or... You, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's also very important, the organization and the purpose of the organization. 
when you align with the purpose of the organization that you're working for, you work there because of the purpose, not because of the paycheck. Right. The paycheck, obviously, you know, you, you, you need, but the purpose is what gets you excited. The rest is just business. It's kind of like uh, minutia, right? If you don't align with the purpose, the moment that there's an issue with the paycheck or that paycheck doesn't increase or whatever, you leave because you didn't believe in anything. You just believed in, your, in, in the time, right? Obviously, I know that's very naive, but again, I, I think... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what, what has kept you at your agency for so long? Purpose and people. Most, like, the most important thing is the people that I work with. Through ups and downs, being surrounded by, by the people that I'm surrounded by has kept me going. And interacting with those people. The, to me, and that doesn't, that's not limited to the organization that I am in, but to me, you have to, or I have to, strive to be either getting inspired by someone or inspiring someone. If I'm not doing that, one of those two things, at some point in time, I'm wasting time in that moment. And that, you know, it sounds big, but it can be small. It can be, you know, maybe inspiring my daughter or like, or getting inspired by her. Anything else is a waste of time. If you're able to work that into the organization, you're going to have a healthy, you know, emotional operation in, in your organization. If you're able to, at any given moment in time, at least be getting inspired by someone and if you can't then try to inspire someone anyone in there so awesome what are you hoping to accomplish this year so my thing that i'm always uh kind of working on is empathy <laughs> and to me empathy is very important because of being able to imagine someone else's emotion that's that's a, a, a huge thing to to achieve right but i think that empathy is uh key to business because, uh, you know, the old adage, um, sex sells, it's really empathy that sells. If you master that, you will be a master marketer, right? If you master empathy, you know, your process is going to be much more effective. Your sales are going to be much more effective. Your creative process is going to be much more effective. Teamwork is going to be better. Yeah. So I'm working a lot on empathy. And uh, I was telling Mari, as, as our year was coming to an end, kind of like talking about what was what was 2020 for us? It's happiness. Our focus right now is happiness. This is a happiness year and, and, and a purposeful approach to that. It's not just letting happiness happen, but making happiness happen. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> making happiness happen. I'm actually excited. I mean, I'm sure we're going to hang out this evening. Well, I hope we're going to hang out after this. Yeah. But, but you and I are also going to go to Banff. That's correct. Gigo and I and Madi and Natalie, and we're going to bring our kids and we're going to go to Banff and hang out at a resort. It should be fun. Yep. <laughs> Gigo, thanks for taking time out of your day to, to come here. It's, it was really awesome to talk to you. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. How can um, people find you on the internet and connect with you? Anywhere, Gigo Sanchez. G-U-I-G-O-S-N-H-C-H-E-Z. GigoSanchez.com. I know that there's not a lot of Gigo Sanchez's, so, so I have the, all the handles for that. Awesome. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers. 
Tesla is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at FunSize.co. I'm Paige, a product designer at FunSize. Namaste.